Hello and welcome to another edition of the Tigers Down Under. I'm your host, as always, Alex, and with me I have Logan. How are you, Logan? Hey, Alex. Yeah, good afternoon, mate. Doing uh, doing pretty well, although uh, not exactly the most positive result on the weekend, uh, sadly, which we predicted. But um, you know, we, yeah. we, we, we get to go another, uh, again this time uh, on the on the weekend, and hopefully, uh, this run of games coming up, we'll have more positive things to be talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it wasn't a it wasn't a great result on the weekend, although very exciting that we did score a goal. So it was at least something to get a little happy about. It would have been nice if it had come a little bit earlier and it could have um, really kickstarted a comeback. But and I guess you know we'll talk about the uh, the sort of uh, debatably ruled out offside goal for Tyler Smith as well, which um, may well have certainly got us back into the contest. But um, yeah, three one loss to Sheffield United. Um, not a fantastic result at home, but as you said, it was essentially what we'd predicted, um, a side that had sort of found its scoring boots again in Sheffield United coming up against us. Um, I guess for me, most concerningly was the the inability yet again to defend at set pieces. Um, but how did you see the game? What was your big sort of takeaways from it? Uh, absolutely. The defence was at times um, non-existent, but um, it, there was almost the kind of a, something that was really obvious to me was the panic that was uh, kind of very clear as you watch City try and defend, uh, particularly from from the set pieces. But there was so much grabbing and, um, you know, wrestling and kind of shirt shirt tugging and stuff leading up to every single time um, the Blades, you know, received any kind of set piece or or got close to our penalty area. And just the signs of panic is is something that we're not really used to kind of seeing in um, in the city ranks. I mean, we haven't always been the the best defensive uh, side over over the last couple of seasons, uh, particularly with the the relegation. But I, I just don't think I've seen a a defensive side of City be as troubled and and as concerned as, as this one. And um, you know, I guess all you got to do is is break down the goals and see, you know, Malik Wilkes and and the role that that he's been given in set pieces to just start. Start scratching your head, and, and it's such you, a strange role, though, isn't it? <laughs> it's it's an incredibly strange role, and for for an, someone with the attacking prowess of him, um, you know, who obviously set League One alight with with his goal scoring ability last year and, and his ability to create goals, so to find him with such a pivotal defensive role, and yeah. whether that was just for this matchup is uh, is, is glaringly um, concerning for for the City ranks. And I guess the big concern for me is, I, I think, for that second goal that they scored, Wilkes is on Egan. You think, geez, you know, what's happened there? That seemed, that must be a mix-up. But then he's on him again for the third, Is I'm, I'm pretty sure. And and, yeah. and I just can't understand why you wouldn't have your, your pacey wingers basically on the edge of the box ready for a counter-attack. And you have your your Smallwood or your or your Greaves or someone like that, Manning, Manning. I mean, they only had three men in the box. So to have one of their three men manned by Wilkes just seemed utterly bizarre to me. Um, let alone to happen twice. And and look, I'm, I'm not defending Malik Wilkes. I thought he was awful on Saturday night. I, I really, and it pains me to say that because he's been such a, a great player to watch, um, you know, in recent times. And I just could not help but think, um, you know, how hard done by he was in the sense that he found himself in that role. And also the, you know, the serve that he got from from his teammates uh, after uh, after the, you know, defensive laps, well, two defensive laps, which, you know, some may say rightfully so, he's a professional footballer, like he's been given a, a job and stick to it. But it just, for me, seemed like a, you know, square peg, round hole kind of situation. And it was ultimately the undoing of City. 
Yeah, and and you sort of talked there about the grappling and the the roughhousery in in the box and everything like that. And it, it did feel at times like Billy Sharp in particular really um, sensed sort of a soft underbelly to the city side. I guess partly because of the youth in our ranks, inexperience in our ranks, and he really took that that role on of trying to get under our skins, try to unsettle us, especially at set pieces. And it certainly worked getting him um, the first goal of the game from a, a pretty pinpoint cross, but perhaps a disappointing effort from Bernard in defending it. Um, and then also in winning a penalty, which probably should have been ruled out for offside, but um, winning the penalty, which thankfully was then saved by Ingram. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I, look, I, I, when we start to talk about the, you know, the signings that, took place over the season and what we're missing and what we would have added to. I actually wasn't, you know, too upset with with what we had defensively, but it's starting to become, you know, more and more alarming that perhaps we, it's an area that we definitely need to strengthen in. And it just reminds me of, of the times when we had somebody like a, an informed Geordie Device. And I, I separate the two because when Geordie Device was out of form, he was, he was horrible. But it's different player. I mean, yeah. obviously, you know, changing clubs to QPR has, has done him the world of good. And, it's it's times like that where you just you know are praying for someone like a Geordie device to be in the ranks and to to really you know as you mentioned like grab Billy Sharp and kind of let let him know what he's dealing with type thing and it just seemed that we you know we were panicked and didn't really have that type of player to make it really clear to the you know to the Sheffield United uh, attacking force that they were in our box and that there was you know going to be some level of you know of, of resolve about us but. Um, you know, it, it leaves a lot to the imagination, and, and I really hope it's something we can we can fix uh, over the next coming weeks in particular. And uh, you know, I dare say Grant McCann would be pulling his hair out and spending a lot of time on that because he would know as well as any of us that that's just simply not good enough. Yeah, and I will say at least when um, George Honeyman came on, he did seem to to go up to Billy Sharp a little bit and and got in his face back, which was fantastic to see and, and something that we've really missed. But but you're right, it feels like. And I and I was saying it before even last season finished that we needed to bring in an experienced centre back just to sort of guide and um and and sort of protect those younger players especially. Um, and you look at the job that Curtis Davies is doing at Derby this season. Um, it's you know it's as um, tangible a hypothetical as you can get in the sense that he was all but all but asking us to sign him come the end of last season, and so it was really there to happen. And yes, we went the other direction and went for Tom Huddleston instead. Um, but Curtis Davies was essentially the, the sort of centre back that we needed to bring in to to defend and to to sort of guide these younger players that we do have. And you can imagine if you had Davies in the back line um, on Saturday coming up against that Chef United side, Sharp would not have been getting away with what he did get away with if um, if Davies was there. Uh, absolutely, without a doubt. And I think that you know you kind of touched on it as well when you mentioned that. The, the choice between you know do we sign Davies or do we sign Huddleston? I know that also uh, Slater was in the in the mix for that that last spot that I guess was available. But I mean, it's certainly another player that we we missed Huddleston. I mean, we'll talk about it briefly. I imagine with uh, when we do the three two ones, but it's really hard to find a, a case for anybody in the midfield either to kind of stand up. Although you know, as you mentioned, Honeyman was resolute and back to his kind of what you expect from George Honeyman, but. There just didn't seem to be, you know, any real poise on the ball either. And um, uh, Tom Huddleston certainly is is someone who we we know we can trust when it comes to to at least uh, looking to control, you know, some level of of midfield um, lead up play. And that just simply wasn't there on Saturday. 
Yeah, a big miss and a really frustrating one in 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 the sense that from from the sounds of things, um, McCann did everything right with Huddleston. He he left him out against Blackburn to manage his time. He um, had him you know basically in Cotton Wool for the Sheffield United game on Saturday, and then in a light training session, so not even a vigorous training session, he's um, pulled his hamstring. Um, I guess sort of silver lining is that they were at first expecting it to be quite a quite a lengthy um, um, absence from the side, and it's turned out to only be sort of 10 days, 14 days at most, which could could mean he's back on the other side of the international break. Um, but just a really frustrating one where it's not even something where you can say, oh, well, you know, he was overplayed, he's old, he should have been given more rest. He was given the rest and he was given the the, the time off to sort of prepare him for this game. And it's just one of those unfortunate ones. Yeah, well, that's it. And that's football. I know that that's the, the cliche. It is it is exactly what you, what you talk about when you've got a, an older player and you do have to manage them. But Tom Huddleston himself has, has mentioned, you know, that he's he's not up to speed just yet. And I guess that whether you rest him or not, like it's it does take time, particularly when you remember how much, you know, football he has missed and how long he's been out for. For him to be able to return to, to the full training load and to be playing the minutes that we, you know, do hope uh, we'll be able to come to expect from him, uh, I think it's a slow burn. And, and, you know, it's because of the added factor of, you know, we now find ourselves right down the tail end of the ladder. We start to become a little bit antsy. But we do have to remember at times like this how long the season is. And I think Tom Huddleston's role um, will be a huge one um, once he once he does find that match fitness and, um, you know, is, is hopefully able to to come back and, and play the minutes that we want of him and, you know, touch wood, uh, be injury-free. Yeah, certainly. And I, I guess... Um... On a more positive aspect of the game, and well, I mean, frustrating in a, in, a, in a way that Tyler Smith again didn't start the game. And I mean, we were sort of calling for him to start the game in the podcast last week. It seems a lot of City fans were as well. Um, McCann sort of stuck with Magennis. I'd, I'd hope, given um, Ty, uh, Smith's performance over the weekend, that that will sort of sell to McCann the need to start him against Stoke this weekend. But when he came on, he looked terrific. Um, really should have had a goal. Um, he was more onside than uh, uh, Billy Sharp was for the penalty that he received, um, and yet his goal was ruled out. Um, and then, of course, uh, King Lewis Potter uh, getting getting a goal for himself, so f- scoring our first goal since the opening day and, and getting his second for the season. Yeah, look, there, there were some there were some silver linings, and as you mentioned, Tyler Smith is just an absolute live wire. I mean, every time he he did get a, a sniff of the ball, it looked like something was going to happen. Uh, I must say the the officiating on Saturday was some of the poorest I've seen in a long time, and I know that you know we can always make those excuses, particularly when we we find ourselves and we're kind of you know clutching at straws for for anything to happen. And I do believe that you know Sheffield United were by far the better side on Saturday night, but that penalty and and how offside Billy Sharp certainly looked, um, and you know to compare that to. Uh, to the Tyler Smith incident, it was just it was mind-boggling, and I thought there was just some some horrible calls in the in across the whole game. And Billy Sharp did really well to stay on the field because yeah. some of those some of the the coming together's with with some of the players he was involved. With Honeyman in, in particular, he was getting his elbows pretty high up on Honeyman's face. Yeah, that gets spotted on another day with you know officials that that don't have the um you know cognitive dissonance that the ones on Saturday Saturday night showed. Um, it, it was a, a grave concern, and he was very, very lucky, Billy Sharp. But yeah. as you mentioned, uh, you know, if Tyler Smith does does get that goal, and we find ourselves three-two with sort of fifteen minutes to play, well, you know, anything can happen. But 
Um, you know, make no mistake, we we were in a, in a different class on Saturday night and, and didn't deserve to even even be in the conversation for for snatching a late point. Yeah, although I, I, I will say I, I did feel like in the first five ten minutes we did look really sharp um, and yeah. started the game as well as I think we've started any game this season. So yeah. um, there was that aspect, but it did feel like once we fell behind with that that goal from Sharp that um, there was no way back for us. Um, certainly at that point and. It's been tough recently watching City where you get that sense that as soon as we concede a goal, we've lost the game. Um, so at least Lewis Potter scoring a goal gives us a little bit of hope back that we can find the back of the net and can get back into games when that happens. But um, yeah, I, I think overall it was the, the biggest frustration for me was it was just such an expected result. Um, so there wasn't a whole lot. I didn't even end up feeling particularly disappointed because I expected it so much. And in itself, that was pretty disappointing, ironically. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I felt exactly the same, and and it was really sad to see it pan out because it did, as you mentioned in that in the opening ten minutes, it did kind of get a feel to say, oh well, maybe I've kind of underestimated them here, and you know they've they've really rolled their sleeves up and turned up for the for the occasion, but yeah, it just it wasn't to be. And I think you know as you mentioned before, if Ingram hadn't have saved that penalty from Sharp as well, uh, that could have got really ugly uh, really quickly. But yeah, they did they did salvage something that would resemble a contest in the end, but. We were just we were too far off the pace, and particularly after that that first goal. Yeah. All right. Well, I will give my three to one votes for this game, and I've actually just reshuffled them a little bit from um, the set that I'd kind of come up with before the podcast. Um, player that I'd forgotten to include in my votes, which I do think deserves the three votes more than anyone else, um, who who you've just mentioned there is Matty Ingram. I think saving the penalty, his displays yet again. Um, he he's he's got to clearly be leading our player of the season at the moment. He, he's been sort of the difference in some games between a thrashing and a uh, just a disappointing result, I suppose. And in other games, such as on the weekend, you know, saving the penalty kept us in the game at that early stage um, as a result of that. Um, I've given the two votes to Lewis Potter getting the goal. I think it didn't have a particularly impressive all-round game, but I'm really hoping that that goal can sort of reignite a bit of confidence for himself. Um and just good to see him on the score sheet again. Um, and then the one vote for Tyler Smith, I think him coming off the bench looked really lively, looked really exciting. I, I really hope it's going to be interesting as well. I mean, as you said, Wilkes didn't have the best of games. So there's an argument to be made that both Magenis and Wilkes could come out of the side for the weekend. But um, I think McGann would find it hard to leave Smith out again, regardless of, of what he does with those two. Yeah. No, that's that's fair enough. I I went a little bit different to you, and and I think that it's you know it's a questionable three two one given the fact that, um you know I I gave my three to Tyler Smith, and and not because he was on the field for very long, but just for the for the sheer fact that every time he was involved, he just looked dangerous, and I felt like with him on the field, we just had a lot more life about us. So he got my three points. Um, and he he nudged out uh, Ken Lewis Potter, who I guess is probably just influenced purely because of the goal. And uh, how crucial it was, more for the record, um, of not wanting to go too long without uh, without scoring, uh, having already broken that record. And then uh, the one point for me uh, went to Matt Ingram. Uh, I thought that the penalty save was crucial, but at the same time, um, you know, you you can see three goals, not really any that were that he's fallen did save a penalty, but as you said, he he's definitely um, probably been our star man so far, and it probably tells you a lot about how we're playing at the moment if if our keeper um on the back of some of the results we've had is still um you know still leading that that chase very, yeah. 
it's very worrying considering we've considered a fair few goals, but he's still probably our best player, which, uh, yeah, says a bit, I yeah. suspect. Um, well, we'll move on then. And, and I mean, the next section's essentially off-field news, but in this case this week, there hasn't been a whole lot regarding City. It's more to do with our rivals. And, um, you know, you sort of touched on before that we're in the bottom three um, on the on the table, but without even kicking a ball, it might see us outside the top, at the bottom three because of the points penalties potentially being applied both at Derby and at Reading. Um, news just broke, I think it was last night, about Reading's nine-point penalty, although there's the typical sort of they'll appeal it and they'll try and work with the EFL, so who knows what that will end up looking like. Um, and Derby's potentially sitting at 21 points if they've they've now gone into administration, plus they have the 12-point penalty for the FFP breaches. Um would essentially see them relegated at this early stage. So um, pretty significant news, I suppose, in the EFL with those two penalties potentially coming across. Um, The Reading one I didn't particularly see coming. I mean, I I hadn't paid too much attention to their finances. I'd Hmm. be a bit sad if I had, I guess. But um, I I didn't think they were in that sort of trouble. And I always sort of think about Reading in, in the sense that their owners, I, sus- I, I believe, are the owners that almost bought us um, in that in that Premier League season when the Alums had actually written a farewell message in the um, programs. That was how close it had come to completion. And then the uh, fit and proper test was failed by those owners. And, and I think they then went off and bought Reading. So I do get a bit curious to see how they are tracking um, yeah. as, as sort of a case of, you know, would we have been that much better off with those owners? And, and, and it looks like they're in a bit of trouble financially in that sense. So... Um, what what have you made of those two pieces of news? Look, it, really interesting. I, I, I guess whenever you see a, a club, you know, suffer a point deduction, I immediately I start to feel for the fans because, you know, it's just it's such a, a frustrating turn of events when, you know, whenever a transfer window comes around, the number one thing that everyone's begging for is signing. So we need a striker, we need this, we need that. And so there is always a tension of, of, club owners trying to bring that in and deliver for the fans but also walking the tightrope on you know being able to comply with all of the fee for fair play guidelines and whatever else the financial you know the all the red tape i guess that that surrounds uh, being eligible to to put a club in so i guess the, it, it's almost the integrity that it's done with so i think sometimes there's a willingness where clubs you know kind of do the wrong thing on purpose um hoping to chase success and then there's the ones that are more kind of accidental which you know we certainly i I believe that that loan that we took um ourselves sounded more of a an accidental type breach um and so you know that's that's kind of what i think about it as far as what it means for us it's incredibly it's incredibly helpful given where we find ourselves at the moment we don't like to say that certainly if we were to stay up on the back of you know, financial breach point deductions, I think it would probably be a, a sad state of affairs and hopefully we can move ourselves in the right direction. But, you know, I guess it, it definitely changes the the picture of, of what's happening down the, the tail end of, of the AFL championship. And look, it's probably going to help us um, regardless of, of what happens with the, with the Reading situation, knowing that Derby are, as you said, almost certainly um, going to be in that relegation picture now. Yeah, I'm trying to remember who stayed up when Wigan got their points penalty when we went down last time. I can't remember if it, was, it might have been Barnsley. And they're yeah. certainly ones who, whilst they technically in that case shouldn't have stayed up, at least they then went on and made the playoffs last season. So you can sort of say, well, at least they they use that opportunity really well. But, yeah, it would certainly be quite a hollow 
exercise I would expect I would imagine if we were to stay up at the expense of clubs that are purely below us because of these points deductions so you'd sort of want to be more than nine points clear of them so that you can kind of you know happily sort of say that we deserve to stay up um so and I guess the other factor to consider as well is I know that there's been a lot of outspoken uh, Wickham Wanderers fans as well who you know were the recipients of a of a relegation essentially yeah. because Derby were extended the you know the, the grace of being able to stay on and you know the I guess the debate for should should Wickham still be in the championship is another strong one so you have to look at it from from all angles I think that whenever there's a team that that has done the wrong thing or or hasn't complied. Um, you know, there are people who suffer and clubs that do suffer as a result. So that's, you know, it's it's, it's a really unfortunate aspect of, of modern day football, I think. And, um, you know, it's it, it's just the way that football is now when you consider the cost of running a club and, and sponsorship and particularly in COVID times, it's made it even more difficult. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I guess the other piece of news from sides around us is that Nottingham Forest have sacked um, Hewden. Uh, I think it was one win in 22 games or something under him. And, yeah. and typical of, of a club that sacks their manager, they went out and won the next game as well. So looks like they've started the bounce back uh, to some extent already. And, and they've appointed Steve Cooper, the former Swansea manager as well, who has a bit of a reputation of doing quite well on a tight budget um, as well in that sense. So potentially things looking up for Forrest as well. I think they're still below us in the table or they might now be above us with that win. Um, so it does make things much more interesting at the bottom of the table as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, look, I've I've seen a lot of people who are already calling for uh, the McCann sacking, um, which was probably to be expected. And I guess when you think of a, a manager with the credentials of Chris Hutton, uh, man, I, I certainly wouldn't be too upset to see him, uh, you know, take the helmet city, despite, as you said, that um, seemingly fairly poor record with Nottingham Forest in recent times. But you know, he is someone who is, has been there and done it. And um, look, yeah. Forrest to me are like leads from a few years ago where I think any manager could go in there and struggle to do a good job. So, uh, yeah, I, I sort of take with a pinch of salt his record at Forrest in that sense. Um, although I, I, I did hear something about the fact that he didn't want to move homes or something to, to work there and that that sort of had an impact on the, the club management or something like that. I, I don't know, but... You know, did a great job at Brighton, did a great job at Newcastle as well, getting them both promoted to the Premier League. So great pedigree and he's now available as a manager. So um, things would certainly be interesting there if if the potential ownership of City changed and they had a bit of ambition and wanted to bring in a manager, that certainly is a manager who's now um, on the market for a new job. Um, but we'll move on now. Um, you did say last week that you got quite an easy triple flashback uh, quiz question. So this one's a little bit more challenging for you. Um, I'll provide a few hints as needed as we go along. But um, for you, for yourself and for everyone listening in as well, the question this week is, can you name the last three teenagers to score for us? And this is in both league fixtures and in cup fixtures. Okay. So I suspect that one of them will be Cam Lewis Potter, given given the recent times. Um, so I, I'm going to lock him in, uh, and judging by the the notion head head nod, that that seems to be somewhat correct. So I'm going to say that I'm one from one so far, but it, it could be wrong. Um, just trying to uh, trying to tell uh, from from your response. Um, outside of that, who else have we had? Um, oh, so teenagers who have played at the club. I think Jared Bowen may have scored as a teenager, 
for City, although he also may have been 20. Um, so that I, I'm not as, as sure on that. Maybe Josh Tymon as well. He's a, a another teenage teenage person that uh, that could have scored in a City shirt. So if I had to lock three in, they're probably the three that I would do, but I'm not super confident about Bowen. That That is very incredible um, deductions or deductive work there because you do have Lewis Potter as correct. He did score as a teenager against Wigan in the 2021 season. You're also correct in your thinking about Jared Bowen that he did only score when he was 20, so he did just miss out on scoring as a teenager. I think he'd only maybe just turned 20 that season or something like that. And you were also correct that Josh Tymon did score for us as a teenager. He scored against Swansea in the League Cup in the 16-17 season. And, and of yeah. course, appropriately, he did also score in the League Cup this morning for Stoke against Watford. Mm. Um, the third player was actually uh, James Scott, who scored for oh, us oh, against oh, Birmingham oh. in the 19-20 season. And it, 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 I completely forgot that he was actually that young. So he was only 19 when he scored in that game. That's right. And and so the other thing that I remember, the reason why I selected Josh Tymon was because I remember his stocks kind of went up really quick uh, within the city ranks. So there was obviously all this hype around this, you know, teenage prodigy. But I do remember uh, him scoring and I remember the hype that kind of came with that. And I'm pretty sure there was like a, he was interviewed um, post-match post by Burnsy and it almost like it, it really gave me a feel for just how young he was. Um, and so that was why I kind of thought it was was okay to lock him in. But, um, yeah, interesting, Re- really, really fascinating. James Scott, uh, I guess, in hindsight, now that seems not easy, but you're right. He he just seemed like one of those older players, didn't he? Yeah, um, he seems like he's like 22, 23 perpetually, you know. He's, he's, he's young, but he's not that young. Yeah, no, yeah. Fair, fair play. It's a, well, it's a good yeah, I mean, like Josh Tymon's still only 22. I just had a look at that. So, because he debuted for us in the FA Cup at 16 or something, I think he was like our youngest debutant in in a fair while, or might have been ever. Um, and then, yeah, certainly scored that goal in the League Cup. Um, and, and yeah, look, you know, they, 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 as I sort of said to you before the episode, these quiz questions generally have uh, sort of a timeliness to them because, of course, we do come up against Josh Tymon Stoke this weekend. Yeah, um, so we can talk about that game now. Um, managed by Michael O'Neill, who's been there since 2019. So a, a reasonably stable club and also one that's changed its image somewhat since the old sort of long long ball or long throw, uh, you know, Peter Crouch up front uh, sort of stoke mentality that, that people might be associating with the Premier League days. But they're quite a, they're quite a possession-heavy, attractive um, team to watch these days. I, I saw a goal that they'd scored earlier in the season was highlighted by... Um, I think it was the second tier podcast put out a tweet with it and it was sort of a ticky tacker sort of goal that they scored. So um, a really impressive side these days and also very much a very familiar side when you look at some of the names in their lineup when they've got Klukas, Tymon, uh, Powell, Chester. I think Ince is there as well. So there's quite a few ex-City boys running around for them and, and three of them did score this morning against Watford. So um, a very interesting fixture ahead of us. Um I think I saw, so so they've got two wins in their last five. They, they did lose to Derby in those five games. Um, and they've got three wins in their last five against us as well. The, the most recent game against them was that 5-1 defeat, uh, which was our last game before the COVID lockdown uh, in that 2021 season. Um, so it's going to be an interesting game. They're, they're, not, in, they're not in red hot form, um, but they are a side that's looking to push on for that top six, top two sort of place if they can. So it'll be a tough game, but... I don't see it as as tough a game as some of our recent games, I would say. 
What do you think? Yeah. I think, as you mentioned, there's some some serious pedigree there. But um, uh, yeah, I guess they probably don't have the same fear factor um, that, yeah, as you mentioned, with perhaps that of Sheffield United do. Um, it's it's going to be such a, a tough one for us here, only because I just can't see how we can fix our defence so quickly. And I think that that's going to be the key. We just we talked about it previously that. The biggest thing for City at the moment is is not really playing any of that football on the front foot. There's not a really a high concentration of chances. And because of that, I think we've struggled to to really get our attack sorted. And um, every single time, you know, Ken Lewis Potter, uh, to a lesser extent, or particularly Malik Wilkes, when they get on the ball, they just don't seem to have that same level of impetus. And I think it's largely because they are being given, you know, such more defensive, defensively heavy roles. Um, so I know there would have been a lot of work done on the training ground, but if you know if Stoke, as you say, seem to have changed their their brand of football a little bit, um, we're going to have to work very very hard to try and recapture some of that you know defensive resolve that um, you know is needed for us to to be able to cause threats up the other end. Yeah, definitely. Um, we sort of talked before about the potential for uh, Smith to come into the side. I guess as well, Honeyman is one who can probably start this game after get, coming on at halftime uh, last weekend or coming on in the second half last weekend. Um, h- how do you see the lineup for this one? Who, who would you sort of make changes with? Look, I, I just can't for the life of me work out how you could probably start Magenis or Wilkes at the moment. I just, I, I think certainly Wilkes, um, given the fact that he just he, he looked far off the pace on Saturday night and the fact that they've just been using him in a in a way that you know leaves a lot to the imagination as we mentioned at the start so if, if Wilkes was to start I would I would genuinely be amazed at that um and and I just can't see how you can continue to leave Tyler Smith out of the side if, from a starting uh, standpoint I would absolutely start honeymoon I thought he was the spark and and kind of as you mentioned not even as much in what he does with the ball but just his presence on the field the fact that he is just a pest and can terrorize you know teams and, and really unsettle and break up break up their attack he just he seems to do more running than you know the rest of the squad put together it's just how he looks when he's on the field so starting honeyman i think you're right is, is probably a master tyler smith is if he doesn't get a start this week i'd be banging down the manager's door finding out you know what what it takes to <laughs> To find himself in the starting eleven, but if if we'll, if Malik Wilkes starts, it would be a, a sheer miracle. Yeah, um, probably a discussion for another day. But I sort of look at we're talking there about Honeyman coming on and the presence he had, and and I look at Louis Coyle, who's probably been um, again you know, an underrated option for us on, on on you know on the right side of defence, and, and look at Smallwood as captain and just think how is Smallwood continuing yeah. to hold the captaincy over either of those two players who seem to just hold themselves so much more confidently and with so much more assurance on the field. Um, and, and and I sort of, I, I wonder, I, I would think essentially that Honeyman would come into the side for Smallwood on the weekend. Um, and then potentially, I, like I would probably push Moncur up to that Wilkes position, um, yeah. Smith on for Magenis, and then... Honeyman in for Smallwood, and then maybe start Cannon. I mean, we haven't seen a whole lot of Cannon so far. Maybe start, um, well, I guess if Huddleston's injured, it's really just Cannon, Cannon, Smith, and Honeyman as, as that central three. Look, there's there's a lot of options for, for for Grant McCann to actually really change things up. And I think that, you know, if, if Sheffield United result told us anything, it's that we weren't asking enough questions. And, and that's largely what the problem is. If you've got Malik Wilkes with a you know a significant defensive role that tells me that 
you really need to go back and look at what you've got in your arsenal and try and shake things up a little bit. I think that, you know, if if Malik Wilkes and Josh McGinnis were having, you know, their moments and looked a threat at the other end, it would be really hard to make a case for, you know, unsettling your strikers if you're losing these games, you know, 3-1 or struggling to score. But the fact that they haven't really had too many big moments and don't seem to be causing too much of a problem when they do get the ball, uh, you know, it tells me that McCann needs to go back and, and look at how he sets up the team defensively and in the midfield and try and control the ball a little bit more than what we currently are. Um, and if, if that's not to happen, I just don't see a way past Stoke. Yeah, definitely. Do you, do, you, do you give us much hope of a result, whether that's a draw or a win, or, or do you think this is going to go the same way as that Sheffield United game? I think it depends largely on who, who Grant McCann starts. I think if he does shake it up, then I'd be really confident about, you know, having some kind of impetus or a, a different feeling in the camp. I think if he keeps going with the similar kind of starting 11, I just don't know if that team with where we sit on confidence is going to be able to trouble a team that has the pedigree that, that Stoke do have. Um, so, yeah. look, I do give us a chance, absolutely, but I think this is absolutely the game week where McCann needs to, to try and shake things up. I mean, the biggest criticism that you will hear from City fans is McCann hasn't really proven himself in the championship, which is, you know, at this stage, a fair statement. So let's let's see what he can do. Let's let's not kind of, you know, die wondering and, and sit back and rest on your laurels and, and see what the squad and all these new signings can do. Yeah, I, I definitely think there's an element of playing favourites or, or playing it safe, even though it's not really playing it safe by sticking with the players from last season in Magennis and Wilkes when you've got options like Smith who can come on and, and turn the game like he did. So, um, look, it'll certainly be interesting. I, I, I'm I'm quite uh, in agreement with you. I think if we do make those changes, that I'd certainly give us a chance of at least snatching a draw in this one. I think you can point to that derby result last weekend against them that they're not unbeatable. They're there to be taken if we go at them and 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 try to score goals, create those chances. And um yeah, we'll see what happens. I, I think as you say, a lot will be a lot will be known once we see the team line up for this game. So uh that'll certainly be interesting. Um we do, we do also have a game next week against Blackpool, um, who we are familiar with from last season, uh, managed by Neil Critchley. Um we haven't actually beaten them since 2004. So we had a draw with them and lost to them last season as well. So would be quite eager to, to turn that around this season and, and get a result. And um, I guess if there's any sort of side that you could kind of look to regain a bit of confidence against, it's got to be a side that's also come from League One with you, where, um, you know, maybe maybe McCann will be a bit nervous because there's not as many excuses with this sort of fixture. You can't really say that, you know, I oh, were playing a, a championship side when it's a side that came up alongside you into the division. Um and a bit like Stoke, there are a few ex-City players for them. I think Josh Bowler's in the lineup for them. Um, uh, scored the winner against Fulham a couple of weeks ago for them as well. So um, that'll be an interesting reunion. But um, it's a, it's a, the only thing I can say is it's a tricky game only in the sense that there's that increased expectation that we get a win. But it's sort of like that derby game where you kind of go into it expecting the win and, and that can sometimes play with that player's heads a little bit. But it, it's certainly a game that we've got to be getting a result from. Have to be, but as you said, our record against them isn't great, and and you already touched on the them beating Fulham, you know, who who are certainly my favourites to go up, uh, you know, and and probably win this league. I'd, I'd be really impressed if there was a team that, you know, that is able to to beat Fulham. Or I guess you can also look to the likes of West Brom, but anyone in those top three, like Fulham, are you know clear candidates for for the title, 
And I just think if, you know, even though, though Blackpool are, as you mentioned, a League One team that's come up, they've, they've proven that they do have a little bit about them. And yeah, it's definitely, it's, if we are going to stay in this league, um, we do need to be beating the teams and certainly our, you know, our promotion neighbours as well. So it's it's going to be an increased pressure, certainly for McCann, um, not just because it's Blackpool and, as you said, we need to win, but because we need to win full stop given the, you know, we haven't experienced that since the, the opening day and things have, have looked pretty grim. So, um, you know, if if we win that game against Stoke, it will certainly give us a, a very good, um, you know, motivation step and confidence to go out and, and really, you know, throw everything at Blackpool. But I think if we're to lose that game against Stoke on the weekend, this Blackpool uh, game becomes a very tough fixture. Mm. At that, yeah, that's my worry. Is 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 a loss to Stoke then puts so much pressure on this game? It becomes unlosable in a way because um, to be going to be going essentially two months with one win in the, in the division is is suddenly becoming really quite concerning. So, um, and you know, supporters have long memories. They remember last time we were in the championship in a similar sort of run of form that that saw us relegated. So, we need to be. Look, even if it's four points, you know, a draw from Stoke and a win against Blackpool, something like that, just to sort of stop the rot and, and turn the momentum around. Um, mm. I, I, yeah, I, look, I can't see, I can't see any way of spinning this result against Blackpool if it's not a win. I think even a draw is disappointing. Look, if it's a, if it's a two-two draw or something like that, where we we're at least sort of starting to get our scoring momentum back, um, at least that's a, a positive element. But I really think we need three points out of this game. Yeah, I tend to agree. I just, I, I think it is such an important week in the in the life of of this city season. I think that, you know, two two losses really changes the conversation. Um, and I think that the pressure that would be on McCann uh, after that to to keep his job before Christmas would be significant. Absolutely. Well, look, thank you for joining me, Logan. My pleasure, Alex. Always good to be here. No worries, and thank you everyone for listening in. As always. Hopefully we'll be uh, joining you next week with two wins in the bank for City uh, and some positive results on the board. But until, t- until next time, come on City. You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast. For more discussion, join us on Facebook in the Hull City AFC Australian Supporters Group or follow us on Twitter at Hull City AFC Oz. The music was created by Amber and Black. There's no turning back, cause you're